Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Keep Lefty program with Victorian Labor College. In the studio is John Lafferty. Morning, everybody. And myself, Chris Gaffney. Unfortunately, Kim can't be with us this week. And uh, she's doing something pertaining to her uh, PhD studies. A very bright person is Kim. Well, large numbers of police were mobilised over the weekend to support, or rather protect, small rallies by the extreme right-wing anti-Islamic Reclaim Australia movement. Uh, from various counter-protests organised by uh, left-wing organisations, anti-racist groups and various anarchist elements. In Melbourne on Saturday, as many as 500 police. Somebody said to me, I wasn't able to get there, but they said they'd never seen so many police in one spot, including specialised riot squad, a mounted contingent, and they were just on hand to stand between approximately... 50 right-wing demonstrators who assembled at state parliament. I thought that that's probably underestimating the numbers of the the fascist elements there. And there was a counter-protest of some 2,000 people. Uh, The Melbourne Street Medics Group has alleged that the police pepper-sprayed first-aid workers who were seeking to treat, treat people who were doused and suffering respiratory illness. And the police's attitude was very much to protect the fascists. Not, not the people rallying against them. Apparently 200 people rallied in Rockhampton to hear Pauline Hanson, head of the racist One Nation Party. In Mackay, a few hundred gathered to listen to a diatribe against Islam delivered by George Christensen, a Liberal Party national member of the federal parliament and in the, in the government of Abbott. <coughs> the political views expressed at them dovetail entirely with the political climate of anti-Muslim demonisation encouraged by the Abbott government and the Labour Party opposition. A concerted effort's being made by the Abbott government to use manufactured claims that Australia is threatened by domestic Islamic radicals, and this is designed to divert us from growing social tensions over falling living standards and widening social inequality. You would have thought that there were killings by Muslims by Muslim fanatics on an almost weekly basis, such as the level of hysteria that's been raised here. Reclaim Australia began organising in this political climate and called its first anti-Islamic demonstrations in April. Uh, They combined xenophobic attacks on Muslims with populist demagogy against migrants, they're homophobes, uh, hate homosexuals, and of course they're anti-communists. The most striking aspect of Reclaim Australia's emergence is the amount of attention its activities and small rallies have received from the political establishment, suggesting that they are actually encouraging these people. And certainly their politics and their turn the boats back and we're being overrun by refugees and, 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 and the terror, terror themes being banged on about all the time by the Hagam is certainly creating the, the situation in which Reclaim Australia can appear vaguely respectable. The Liberal Party member's Christensen appearance at the Mackay rally makes it clear that the positions of Reclaim Australia are viewed with considerable sympathy in the ranks of the government. 
Unfortunately, the anti-racist demonstration said very little about the Labour Party encouraging this atmosphere of anti-terror hysteria that has emboldened Reclaim Australia to take the streets. If anything, Labour's hypocritical criticism of the right-wing protests, in contrast to Abbott's refusal to ban Christensen from speaking at one, will be used in some of the left media to try and breathe life into the assertion that Labour is the lesser evil of the capitalist parties. And I heard Dennis then talking about the disgraceful turnabout on the refugee question, about which I'll talk about in a moment. But John, now I am going to turn to you for now, and uh, I'll come back a bit later. What you were going to talk about the GST. yeah? Well, I was going to speak about the GST, but just on that issue, uh, I think you know these these people, fifty of them. My goodness me, why do we give them any time? Why don't we just let them get beat up? But um, I think maybe they are useful for the coalition and that they can make the coalition look moderate in comparison. So, you know, yes, there, exactly. there is a use The there. same role as Pauline Hanson played. Well, Paul, I was going to get to her, but 50 of the fascists and 500 of the cops. What a waste, yeah, of, what a waste of time and money. Absolute yes, waste of yes, time and money. Yes. And uh, I don't particularly want to go on about it. But Pauline Hanson, so I'm assuming <coughs> that she's... She used to be anti-East Asian and anti-Aborigine about 50, uh, 20 years ago. Yep, yep, yep. She's now anti-Islam. Well, one follows no, from the no, other. She's just basically a racist. <laughs> well, you know, it's just, uh, she's kind of insular looking. Well, kind of insular looking. She's nuts. Well, she is nuts, but unfortunately, at one point, she got 37% yeah. of the vote in Queensland, so mm. she's got a few mates, unfortunately. Okay. The GST. So this week, the New South Wales Liberal Premier, Mike Baird, spoke at a tax summit where he proposed an increase in the goods and services tax from 10% to 15%. As he spoke, over his shoulder stood his federal leader, Prime Minister Tony Abbott. Baird said, quote, What the community wants to see from us is dealing with problems in their interests, nothing else. So that's exactly what I'll be putting forward. He claimed that the rise in the regress of GST was necessary, quote, to put our vital health services back on a secure footing. Baird failed to point out that one of the main reasons health services aren't on what he calls a secure footing is that the federal government has been slashing funding to the health sector and to state-run public hospitals. This year's federal budget saw the Abbott government plan to cut nearly $2 billion from the health system over the next five years. This was alongside a plan to seize funding state-run public hospitals based on the services they provide, a model which would leave states and territories tens of billions of dollars worse off over 10 years. The problem which Baird says he wants to resolve was actually created by his political bosses in Canberra in the first place. If he seriously wanted to address the health budget shortfall, he could begin by looking at some of the areas where the Abbott government has been spending taxpayers' money in the past two budgets. One obvious place to go looking is the area referred to as defence. It is in fact, it's not defence, it's the military. In 2014, Australia spent $22.5 billion in the military, or 1.5% of our GDP. This ranked us in 14th place in the world overall. In 2015, we were budgeted to spend $25.4 billion in the military, or 1.8% of GDP. So that's an increase of $2.9 billion in just one year or 0.3% of GDP. That's a big figure, 0.3%. It is, it is. And all this at a time when the federal government tried to tell us that we had a shortage of cash. 
Australia's military expenditure went from a world ranking of 14th to 13th, despite the fact that we're only the 51st most populated nation. We're now the 11th biggest per capita spender on the military in the world. But our spending in health puts us in a lower position compared to others. In this regard, we look more and less and less like Sweden and more and more like Saudi Arabia. It might be argued that it is necessary to be spending more on the military if this country was under immediate threat of external attack. Despite the government's best attempts to instill fear that we are at war with numerous enemies, we're not. And presumably if we were, then our Prime Minister's favourite country, which isn't Australia, it's the USA, would be doing the fighting for us. After all, the USA is responsible for roughly one half of the military expenditure of the world's top ten spending countries. Mike Baird, and with him many federal liberals, are using the skinny health budget as an excuse to push for something which they want anyway. In fact, they've wanted it for a while, and that's an increase in the GST rate. Over the past year, at least, right-wingers such as shock jock Alan Jones have become more vocal about wanting an increase. Jones uses the ludicrous argument that if he, as a rich man, buys a Mercedes-Benz for himself and a pearl necklace for his wife, then they can afford to pay more GST than a mere peasant buying a holding car and a shoestring necklace. The suggestion is that the rich are suffering more through paying more money. <laughs> but, I mean, they, uh, there's no sense of uh, progressiveness about that, is, no. is it? I mean, no. the 10%, 10% off the cost of rolls... Yes, uh, a lot. Is, yeah. is, a, ...is a lot. I mean, and and the, poor person, the poor person, if they were to buy the same thing, that would be their entire income. That's right, yeah. Um, so there's no, there's no concept that uh, it's not an... It's, it's, Put as if it's an equal tax. But Everybody pays ten percent. Yeah, but he's he's used this argument a few times, and I mean, I'm, I'm assuming he uses it on his radio show, which of course I don't listen to. It's from radio. It's from Sydney. I don't listen to it anyway. But he's been on Q and A twice, and he's used this ridiculous argument. And I mean, some folk might buy it. I'm, I'm not sure. But the, he's a notorious liar too. I mean, he yeah. said, "Oh, coal is much cheaper than renewables." No, mm. they're not. No, no they're not. Yeah, Sorry, he's, um, he, he's, he's, he gets confused anyway. He certainly confuses me. Of course, the GST is a flat tax. It taxes everybody equally, no matter how wealthy they are. If we truly wanted to tax people such as Alan Jones more than poor folk, and we should, we should want to tax them more than poor folk, then we'd be looking at large capital gains tax, luxury goods tax, and import tax on the Mercedes-Benz, which Jones is so attached to. Some business groups have been calling for an increase in the GST ever since the Howard government introduced it in 2000. In 2009, the Business Council of Australia advocated that taxes be increased on consumer goods, but halved for corporations. <laughs> they made a submission to the Henry Tax Review that the GST rate should be raised from the current 10%, while corporate tax should be slashed from 30% down to only 15%. This is assuming they pay it at all. If they do, that's right. Yeah. The Business Council of Australia are not a small group. They're actually very big and very powerful. In 2012, their membership totaled 121 companies, including BHP Billiton and Rio Tinto, as well as all four of the major banks and most of Australia's largest manufacturers and business service firms. So it would appear that federal and state coalition politicians and most of big business are behind the push to raise the GST rate. The Liberal Party, and Joe Hockey in particular, love to trumpet small business too. 
No doubt many of those who happily accepted the $20,000 tax write-off will also eagerly want an increased GST. Now, as far as the Australian Labour Party is concerned, well, they've had a very confusing history when it comes to the GST. In 1985, Australia had a corrupt business culture where tax avoidance and tax minimisation were almost the norm, like you were saying before. Still goes on. Treasurer Paul Keating put up many proposals for tax reform, and one of them was a consumption tax. Set at a rate of 12.5%, it was broad-based and similar to the GST. It was to be some bought or set by tax cuts for some people in lower incomes. As it turned out, Prime Minister Bob Hawke, who always looked for popularity, mm-hmm. scrapped the idea. By 1993, Paul Keating was now the Prime Minister. In that year, he won what many considered an unwinnable election. He did this by actually opposing a 15% goods and services tax put forward by the Liberal leader, John Hewson. By 2000, however, it was the Liberals who were in power under John Howard, and Howard was finally able to ram through this unfair tax. Now, the ALP led by Kim Beasley... It's very confusing, this one. The ALP led by Kim Beasley initially said they would oppose the tax, which hit low-income earners the hardest, which of course it does. But as things turned out, Beasley made a hypocritical backflip. He said he would oppose it in opposition yet retain it if the ALP won back government. He mumbled on about a policy called rollback, but the ALP, when it came to the crunch, and of course they did get back back into power, did nothing about the tax when given the chance to do so. The ALP leaders of today are in a similar state of confusion. Federally, the ALP opposes an increase in the tax. Victorian Premier Daniel Andrews says he opposes it, Queensland Premier Anastasia Palaszczuk struggles to know what the actual rate of the GST is, even though it's been 10% since it was introduced, but she now says she too opposes it. However, South Australia's Labour Premier Jay Weatherall is not on board, and he says that he supports an increase to 15%. As in, the, and, um, yeah, as in 1985, when the ALP almost introduced a very similar tax, and in 2000 when they said they'd oppose it but they would do nothing to remove it. Today it's clear that the ALP cannot be trusted to maintain firm opposition to such an increase. In regards to this form of tax, in the past three decades they've held a position of support, opposition, support, opposition and so on. As of today they're still unable as a party to articulate what they stand for. Now, oh, so, it is it. Well, that's right. It is a general, you know, yeah, this is generally speaking that the Labour Party, what do they stand for? What are their policies very often? Now, this morning I just saw briefly on ABC 24 Chris Bowen saying that the party is united. The party is united and yet a state premier, he, he doesn't seem to realise united. Jay Weatherill in South Australia, he supports this increase. So they're having a conference at the moment. Let's see if they talk about it and let's see just how united they are. Getting quickly back to health. Money for this vital sector can be made available by taking from bloated military spending and sweeteners for business. Also, a grassroots opposition to an increase is necessary to keep the LP honest and prevent this proposal from becoming a reality. Good, 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 good. Can I mention some... Oh, yes, please, please. Yeah, there's some uh, events taking place this weekend. Um, Pipsy, who I, I like to um, publicise, uh, they're having two events. Uh, they're both at half past one on Sunday, and one of them you is... You better uh, explain what Pipsy is. Pipsy is public interest before corporate interest. Right. 
uh, and that's the name of the organisation. We just shorten it to Pipsy. They're meeting at half past one on Sunday at Hastings Hall, which is Main Street Hastings. That's right. down on the peninsula. And at the very same time, near to you, Chris, half past one on Sunday, they're also having a meeting, and this is a new branch, I believe, uh, they're meeting at Jaika Jaika Community Centre, corner of Union and Plant Streets in Northcourt. Right next to the Denner Station. Okay, then. Uh, also at 2 o'clock, this is, these meetings are all at the same time, I'm afraid. But Sorry, Westgarth Station. Westgarth Station. Westgarth, yeah, near Westgarth Station. Okay, so also uh, the SEP, uh, they're having a meeting at uh, 2 o'clock on Sunday. at the, me- the Socialist Equity Party. The, um, two o'clock Sunday at the Meat Market in Blackwood Street, North Melbourne, and they will be discussing. And they've been on to this ever since Sarita got into power, and I yes. think their analysis has been pretty spot oh, on. I think to their be fair, has been excellent. To be fair, Chris, but um, they'll be speaking uh, further about Sarita's and particularly Cyprus's betrayal of the Greek working class. Now, uh, finally, just uh, this morning, half past seven. I couldn't make it a bit early for me. Uh, down in South Melbourne, the Media, Entertainments and Arts Alliance, which is uh, the MEAA union, members at the convention centre in the city are currently negotiating their enterprise agreement. Management are proposing significant cuts to overtime, to unsociable hours payment and to superannuation. They're also proposing penalties for last-minute shift cancellations and variations. Take the money off, yeah. Oh really? Gee. Yeah, <laughs> if you don't, yeah, take my. We've got a new arrangement. This firm, you pay us. Yeah, you pay us to be employed. Yes, yeah. we're really doing you a favour. So um, they have also over the last three years, they've only offered a pay increase of one point seven five percent per year over three years. It's not even inflation. Not even inflation. Well, near inflation, so stingy. Anyway, an action is being held and was held this morning uh, at being held at the AOP National Conference, which is being held at the Melbourne Convention and Exhibition Centre at South Wharf. Now, this will be going over the weekend, I'm assuming. So yes. I'm assuming that the protests will be going on well, over the weekend. Possibly, yeah. If you'd like to uh, go on Facebook, uh, address there, facebook.com forward slash T-H-E-M-C-E-C. And the Twitter address, and I, I don't use, I mean, I've been, I've had a look, and I'm, it's not for me. Twitter, their address is at M-C-E-C hash M-C-E-C. Right. I don't yes. know what it means either. No, nor do I. I'll leave it there. All right. Um, we're just st- leaping overseas for a moment. Wesley Clark is a, a well-known American general, a four-star retired general and former NATO commander. And he's, last Friday he went on record as saying that he would like to place radicalised and, quote, disloyal Americans in World War II start internment camps. Now, this is a warning of what, what the establishment has got in line for us. The event that prompt, prompted Clark's televised remarks was a recent killing of four Marines and one sailor at an Arms Forces recruiting centre in Chattanooga, uh, in Tennessee. The scale of his his response, that is, of interning everybody, is completely out of proportion to the actual threat. And we're talking about, which has claimed f- far few victims than shootings carried out by deranged individuals, which seem to happen on a regular basis. See, there's some maniac gets in there, goes into a high school and shoots lots of people. But... The number of people shot by people who are radicalised is tiny, tiny, just as in Australia. Even the, 
the case in the uh, the one with that Mons character, the Muslim guy. But he he was he was mad. He was off his head. There was nothing particularly Islamic about mad that. Madman Monas. If we take uh, if we take Clark's statements at their face value, the, the term Orwellian doesn't really do them justice. We've got to identify people who are most likely to be radicalised, he said. We've got to cut this off at the beginning. In other words, the massive and ongoing surveillance of the American population must be intensified to identify potential radicals and jail them based on their alleged thoughts and alleged perceptions. People are to be imprisoned in camps for the duration of the never-ending war on terrorism. Now, given it's been going since the beginning of this uh, century, we're up to 15 years for being deemed, not proven, deemed disloyal or insufficiently supportive of the United States. How are they going to know what you think? Well, they know. A charge that could be levelled against anybody expressing opposition to US imperialist wars abroad, police repression at home, or even the profit interests of US banks and corporations. There's no small irony in Clark supporting citing supporters of Nazi Germany in World War II as a precedent for mass internment. Some 110,000 Japanese Americans were imprisoned during the Second World War for no more reason than the fact that their background happened to be Japanese. More fundamentally, Clark's proposal is entirely in line with the actions of the Nazis after they came to power in 1933. The Nazis then justified their measures by invoking a non-existent threat of terrorism. The Nazis then suspended democratic rights, including habeas corpus. And then they opened the first of their concentration camps at Dachau to hold tens of thousands of political prisoners, socialists, trade unions Mm -hmm. and others deemed disloyal to the Third Reich. I think Dachau was opened about 34. (laughs) It was quite early on, actually. Mm -hmm. Uh, Clark is, uh, had a lucrative career as an investment banker and heads Wesley K. Clark & Associates, an international consulting firm geared to the needs of the big oil companies. Moreover, the retired general is not the only one suggesting internment camps. Chief Justice, uh, in, in his dissent to last month's US, US Supreme Court decision legalising same-sex marriage, Justice Clarence Thomas huh? uh, argued that... Uh, Argued, cited the mass imprisonment of Japanese during the Second World War, and he wrote this, those in internment camps did not lose their dignity because the government confined them. Hmm. So you'd be nice to know that when they lock you up, your dignity's intact. Now, Clarence Thomas, he was on the Supreme Court. That's right. That's and he was right. the first African-American, I believe. Or, he's been there for quite a while. Well, they are. They're all there for quite a while. Well, only last year, uh, Thomas's fellow right-wing justice, Antonin Scalia, yes. referred to the High Court's 1944 decision upholding the legality of mass internment camps during the Second World War, mm-hmm. which has never been overturned. Mm-hmm. And commenting, he said this, you're kidding yourself if you, same, if you think the same thing will not happen again. Mm-hmm. Perhaps even more revealing is the corporate media's absolute silence in the face of Clark's proposal for internment camps. The, the New York Times published not a word of this statement. In fact... The threat of terrorist attacks is a pretext rather than the real motive behind the extraordinary police state measures that have already been implemented. The establishment of the Department of Homeland Security, the enactment of a Patriot Act, 
and the wholesale spying on the population of the United States and the entire planet. The creation of the Pentagon's Northern Command overseeing the US itself and the unceasing militarisation of US police departments, as well as the more sweeping fascist-style measures proposed by Clark. Um, over the last two years, military police lockdowns have taken place in Ferguson, Missouri and Baltimore, Maryland. At the heart, this process is driven by the insoluble contradiction between basic democratic rights and the unprecedented levels of social inequality and the continuous eruption of US militarism uh, that really are an expression of the crisis of American capitalism. The corporate elite are aware of the chasm that separates it from the broad mass of working people and lives they live, the corporates that is, live in thoroughly justified fear that the policies it are pursuing are sowing the seeds of social revolution. And Clark's statement of one more indication that the ruling class is preparing, preparing accordingly. Now, I don't mean to be ageist on this, but Wesley Clark, to me, is a bit of a blast from the past. I'm assuming he's quite old by now, and is it possible that he's just entered senility? Because he well, would be. Well, along with the entire ruling class, you might suspect. <laughs> well, the, the reception to his problem, no one's come out and said he's an old idiot. No one's said yeah. that. <laughs> well, we are. We're we? saying that, <laughs> We carry no weight. I mean, his, the corporate press in America hasn't jumped on him. Just what we've got five minutes late, we must refer, of course, to the uh, Labour Party's conference, which starts in Melbourne today, today yeah. uh, which is where Bill Shorten has deliberately preempted the event mm. by abandoning the ALP's professed opposition to the Abbott government's regime of military repelling asylum seeker boats. And Albanese is opposing him, though. Shorter sent a wider signal of his determination to shift the Labour Party further to the right wing, Mm. across the board, uh, consistent with the demands placed on him by the corporate establishment via the Murdoch media. The Murdoch media, not surprisingly, backed his stance just depicting it as a, quote, a courageous bid to stamp his authority over the Labour Party. Shorten was obviously responding to the drumbeat of calls by business, business and the media establishment for him to send a clear message of his intent to make the ALP an even more malleable instrument of the ruling class in this country. These demands were reinforced by yesterday's Australian editorial, said, Labour risks turning to the left when a right via is required. This is the Australian, surprisingly. Um, the Abbott's uh, government's turnback operations have remained hidden behind military secrecy, preventing any public scrutiny of how many actual boats have been intercepted, much less sunk. We just don't know. According to media reports, the, ne- the left wing, so-called within the Labour Party, and there are, I, I'm told that there's a socialist left in the Labour Party. Not that you would ever know. Well, they use the word socialist. They've yeah. used the words, but they Even though the leadership denies... I mean, I've got quotes from Kevin Rudd going back to 2000, and he was probably more... Well, he would have been more left-wing than Gillard or Shorten. Mm-hmm. And he says... He was never a socialist, never will be a socialist. There's no socialism within the Labour Party, even though people outside think there is. So what about the socialist left faction? Well, how does the, the, this deal with them, you know? Because that's what he said. I've got quotes not here with me. Well, um, he the, denies the, it. The leadership of the socialist left is union bu- bureaucrats mm. who are neither socialist nor left. Um, 
the, the so-called socialist left could have the numbers of this party conference. And Shorten is going for a show of strength over them. Mm. And you can bet the socialist left will wilt. Mm. Will wilt. Um, because to reject Sh- Shorten's stand would amount to overturning his leadership. Um, well, that's possible. The, the Anna Burke, one of the left people, said she was disappointed by Shorten's announcement. Mm. I do think, she says, I do think there'll be a lot of people this morning trying to weigh up whether they'll be able to vote Labour at the next election. Mm. I think that vote's well and truly gone. This concern to show up Labour's vote amongst working-class student and middle-class voters who strongly oppose this inhuman treatment of asylum seekers reeks of duplicity and hypocrisy. Various Labour governments dating back to Bob Hawke in the 80s have implemented increasing draconian measures to seek to demonise, outlaw and block the arrival of refugees. The most recent Labour governments of Rudd and Gillard from 2007 to 13 attempted to turn back the boats to Indonesia but ran foul of objections in ruling circles in Jakarta. After then unlawfully trying to dump them in East Timor and Malaysia, Labour resorted to a ramped-up version of the previous Howard Government Coalition Pacific Solution of incarcerating asylum seekers in detention centres on Nauru and Papua New Guinea's Manus Island. In reality, despite the bipartisan assault on refugees, the boats haven't stopped, either globally or in the waters to Australia's north. An estimated 60 million people are currently seeking asylum. More than ever before, overwhelmingly as a result of the military interventions in the Middle East by the US and its partners, including Australia. So uh, the truth is that deaths at sea arose directly from the underlying border protection regime of barring entry to all but a handful of refugees a year. Uh, There will be show of opposition within the conference, but these protests are a a desperate attempt to revive illusions in you and I that the ALP represents a lesser eagle than the coalition. They mm. represent the same, the same uh, as Bill Shorten is showing. There's no, abandon all hope, abandon all hope with the, the Labour Party. It's a party of capitalism. It always has been. Now they don't even bother apologising for it. This, I'm assuming, will be done under the uh, belief or the, the, the stated belief that this makes them more electable. Oh, that's, so that's what abandon all principle, abandon all fairness, abandon what they once way, way, way back in the distant past. Well, they're for. playing. They think they think. Look, the average Australian liberal party. The, the, the average Australian can be motivated by <coughs> fear, fear and racism, and uh, we haven't got the stomach to try and challenge that or overcome it. And I recall again the statement of that American uh, American person: the way to win elections is to scare the stupid people. And Labour's bought into Labour's bought into that. This is a party devoid of principles. Getting, yeah, getting back to um, Wesley Clark, you know, I, I, I will actually find out how old he is and what he's been up to lately because he is definitely the best in the past as far as I'm concerned. But when you think about it, I mean, this might get some traction, this idea in the US. I mean, they're saying that Donald Trump... Uh, Trump, rather, the more he speaks out, makes these ridiculous statements, the more popular he seems to be getting. Well, he's the most popular. The he's got about something like amongst the Republicans. Amongst Republicans, which uh, is you yeah, got pretty it. crazy to say. Pretty crazy, <laughs> exactly. I was going to say you're talking about mad here. Twenty six percent of the maddies support Donald Trump. Yeah, um, it's 
It's really Admittedly, if you look at the other candidates, even Donald Trump starts to look good. Does he? <laughs> oh, they're, <laughs> they're loonies. Absolute loonies. Well, I haven't had the real good um, work, but I bet But scared. so this is, this, this, is the, you know, this is the way you're going. And the people who harbour illusions like the Greens, that you can reform this system mm. and turn it into something that is of some use to humanity... It's Where's there rubbish. evidence for that? Wait, there's no evidence for this there's no evidence for at that. all. And what's more, it's getting worse. It's not like these parties are improving their human rights record. They're fighting the growing inequality that's happening. Not at all. If you, The ALP is joining them. It's joining them. It's I, becoming an open corporate party. Although I would say that when it comes to their party parliamentary political terms, in the short term, I would say if Shorten does go down this path, he's proposing to go down, mm-hmm. you'd you think the Greens would be winning out of this. In well, courts. yes, but unfortunately this is happening. You know, capital when it's in power and mm. through the media exhorts a huge, huge pressure on these people. Isolated mm. in Canberra, they have no contact with the ordinary people and so they're susceptible to pressure from the Murdoch press and all the rest of it. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.